Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined once again by Ben Gessling at TCO Performance Center in Egan, Minnesota. Thank you for waving, Ben. Um, the, the Vikings 8-1 and one host the Dallas Cowboys in what could be a playoff preview matchup at U.S. Bank Stadium. It's an afternoon game. I got to address the question that everybody wants to know, Ben. Does an afternoon game count as good Kirk Cousins? Or nighttime bad Kirk Cousins? Because the game starts in the afternoon, but it kind of ends at nighttime. Yeah, especially in Minnesota when it gets dark yeah. at like 4.30. It'll be dark by half. Yeah, so, I mean, leaning into the Kirk's bad record on primetime, uh, but he's great at noon games, we found out. Phenomenal. Well, primetime technically starts at 7 o'clock, doesn't it? Isn't that it when the so uh, if it's, if it's evening... a four-hour game, though. Again. Yeah, I mean, if you get if you get overtime, if they win in overtime, does it count as a primetime victory? For Kirk Cousins. It should. It should go towards primetime record. National TV. It's going to be labeled as America's Game of the Week on it Fox. Is. Well, against America's team. Against America's team, where Justin Jefferson has a chance to continue his ridiculous terror. We'll talk about what he's been doing and if it can continue against Dallas and then the Patriots on a quick turnaround and just how these Vikings are feeling at 8-1 and one going into the and continuing really the toughest stretch of their schedule up to this point after a really impressive win in Buffalo. Um, but starting this out, Ben, the Vikings and the Cowboys have had already a storied history at U.S. Bank Stadium. The Cowboys are 3-0 and with three different starting quarterbacks, including a rookie Dak Prescott in 2016. That was the Mike Zimmer eye game. That was Mike, Mike Prefer right. yep. coached that game. Yep, that's right. Um, and they lost it because of an Adam Thielen fumble yes. on a punt return. So this will be – Kevin O'Connell will be the third – different Vikings head coach to face three different Cowboys quarterbacks in meeting number four at a seven-year-old stadium. Quite a history uh, between the Vikings and Cowboys at U.S. Bank. There was also a great Sunday night game in 2019 between the Vikings and Cowboys in Jerry World. The Vikings won that one. That's right. They did. They did. Um, broke that play up at the end of the game? Somebody had a pass rush at the end of the game. Was it J. Ron Curse? Uh, I'm trying to think. Because didn't they make a? Because they threw it to Zeke, right? I can't remember now. Because I'm mixing them up. Because there was just those three in a row, 19, 20, 21, and all three of them were incredible finishes and really yeah. tight games. I think that was um, the one where the Cowboys were like just running the ball like crazy with Zeke at the end. Okay. And they decided to throw it to him, and I think the Vikings broke it up. It was that, and then like Amari Cooper was just. I think having Mike Hughes' lunch. I remember that. I, I very much remember that. He had like 12 catches that day. Yeah. Uh, just absolutely destroyed the Vikings secondary, and Dak Prescott went uh, crazy in that 2019 game, much crazier than he did in 2016 against the Vikings when he was just a rookie and they were starting out. But um, it, it just seems like these teams, when they get together, it's it's um, it's always going to be a competitive game, and I don't see why Sunday would be any different between these two teams. No, I mean, this is this is a potential playoff preview in a stretch of those types of games. This is number two in a stretch of four in a row where the Vikings are playing teams that if the season ended today, which of course it does not, uh, those Vikings opponents would all be in the playoffs. The AFC East at the moment would have all three wild cards out of the AFC, and those teams are three of those four opponents with Buffalo – uh, the Cowboys, obviously, this week would be a wild card in the NFC, and then you have the Patriots and Jets, who would both be uh, wild cards out of the AFC right now. So, um, 
always interesting. We look at the schedule at the beginning of the season and we say, oh, this is a really easy schedule. But you know, these things change so much that you're really you're facing the entire NFC East, the entire AFC East. Those are the two divisions in the NFL right now where last place is 500 or better. So um, not as easy as we thought. Kind of goes and yeah, flies in the face of the charmed narrative a little. I mean, they've been a little bit. They've had some moments, obviously. Like we talk about four fumbles in Buffalo, they recover all four of them. Um, I mean, there's been some moments in games where you consider it fortunate, but they've also had a ref take out Cam Bynum and gone through yeah. <laughs> a tough stretch of the schedule. Uh, and, and certainly the the divisions, as you mentioned, that's a great point. They're playing two of the toughest divisions in football, the entire divisions, and that's just a that's a random occurrence. You're just yeah. randomly assigned. You don't know how good no, or it's bad. On a, it's on a rotation. Sorry, yeah, but I meant like you just don't know how good or bad right. those teams are going to be when you happen to face them. And the Vikings catch both of these divisions when they're pretty good. Um, but when you look at this matchup against these Cowboys, they just lost to the Packers at Lambeau. They can't be that good, right? Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I the Packers maybe not as dead as we thought. I don't know. I mean, the Packers are a hard thing to figure out too. But yeah, I mean, this is not, I, it's so hard to know with anybody in the NFC. Like who is, I mean, are the Giants, the Giants are seven and two. Are the Giants this good? Are the Eagles the best team in the NFC? Are the Vikings this good? I mean, we ask all of these questions that I think, you know, it, it's hard to know on a week to week basis. I Dallas, certainly you would think the personnel they have, whether it's Dak Prescott, CeeDee Lamb, Micah Parsons on the other side of the ball, Demarcus Lawrence, uh, there's a lot of you know blue chip level talent there. But you would say the same thing for the Vikings. So whether it's Dalvin Cook, Justin Jefferson, Cousins, I suppose people would have issues with him being blue chip level talent, but an accomplished quarterback in the league, um, Zadarius Smith, Daniel Hunter. I mean, you have high end players in a lot of spots that. I yeah I I think the Cowboys at least in that regard those types of players are going to affect games in a way that makes this a tough matchup and it's reflected in the in the spread at the moment the Cowboys come in as road favorites Vikings have not lost at home all season but are home dogs at least at the recording of this podcast what do you make of that like why that that's weird to me that they're home dogs it's and I think the Vikings are set up and we'll get into this I think they're set up to win in this game just matchup wise looking at the rosters and currently the way Dallas's defense especially is playing but why do you think Vegas is tilting toward Dallas I mean I think there's probably still a little bit of Viking skepticism baked into that Sure. I would assume yeah. that you're still sort of saying we're not really sure if this team is for real. And I think a lot of that probably is are we sure about Kirk Cousins being for real? I think that's probably some of it. Some of it is the number of close victories, but they probably think an afternoon game counts as a primetime game. They may. It's <laughs> national TV. There you know, there may be a little bit of that. I I think the the number of close victories has been used as a way to knock them down a little bit, but I wrote about this earlier in the week. There have been more close games in the first 10 weeks of the NFL season than there have been in any year in the league's history. So close games and winning them is kind of a cost of doing business right now. I mean, the, the fact that they're not blowing teams out is – it gets harder to sit there and say that it they're not legit in, in the context of this current NFL. Are they the 1989 49ers? No. Uh, but you don't have to be that to make a run 
get to a Super Bowl and possibly win the thing. I mean, you play the teams that you play, and they will award a trophy at the end of the whole thing. So I don't know that I look at anybody in the league right now and say, this is just such a complete team that nobody can touch them. I mean, you know, Kansas City is probably the closest thing you get to that just because of, of who Patrick Mahomes is. But I I don't know. I, I assume that some of that is still baked into why we see the spread where it is. But I, I'm not sure that we should make as big of a deal out of that stuff with the close victories and all of that as we are. I mean, there may be some randomness involved, but they have – every time they've needed to, they found a way to get it done at the end. And, and that, at some point – I think has to be worth suggesting that maybe they are doing some things to help them win those things that aren't just good luck. We'll see uh, if that luck continues at all or if they'll even need it against the Dallas Cowboys because I look at this Dallas Cowboys team and I see a team that obviously just lost 31-28 in overtime to the Green Bay Packers, but a team that's very flawed defensively for all of their talent. I think Trevon Diggs is well-regarded as a playmaker, right, against, you know, on the ball he always has the stats. Takes a lot of chances, though. But people a lot smarter than me will continuously tell you, too, that he gets beat a lot. And yeah. And, yeah, he gives up plays. And you watch the game and you see that. And um, you you see their defense being really aggressive and being taken advantage of downfield. And they really rely on a pass rush to get home. And when you look at their pass rush, their strength of it is obviously Micah Parsons, as you mentioned, um, it's also Demarcus Lawrence on the other edge, and it's really a, a group of edge rushers that they can kind of continuously rotate in there because they have guys off the bench that will get the sack numbers as well. Um, they don't have a lot, as far as I can tell, interior pass rush, and so I do wonder if they'll mix it up and move some of these guys inside to get the matchups they want. But the Vikings, with Derisoff, he comes out of the, the um, concussion protocol, and his health is going to be something to watch. The Vikings are pretty well suited, I think, roster-wise to contend with that edge rush pressure that Dallas brings, as opposed to a Buffalo who yeah. brings Ed Oliver up the middle, um, or Washington, who has one of the best defensive tackle tandems in the NFL. Um, also, personnel-wise, the Vikings seem much more better to, to handle this, and Dallas has the highest rate, according to ESPN, of cover one man-to-man in the league. They run it almost half the time in yeah. their coverages. The Vikings and Justin Jefferson especially eat on man-to-man coverage, and they barely see it because teams are afraid to play it against them. They've only seen it like 27% of Jefferson's targets over the last six games. In those last six games, Justin has put up 814 yards and two touchdowns. It's a ridiculous tear that he's on. He's averaging over 100 yards a game. Yeah, the scheme thing is interesting because Dan Quinn's the defensive coordinator there and certainly has been you know, the Seattle – kind of cover three stuff which has kind of gone out of style so you're probably seeing a little bit of a shift there but it's more of the middle field closed stuff than what we've seen most of the league go back to which is two safeties middle field open so it's interesting to see kind of what's going on there but you're right I mean if they get a lot of man coverage Justin Jefferson (laughs) we saw it Sunday we've seen it all year he will feast on -on one-on-one matchups because, I mean, even when you put two guys on him, he's kind of showing that, you know, give me a chance because there's not many people that can cover me. And I think there's certainly not a corner on this team that you would say is going to be able to take Justin Jefferson out of the game. No, and and the Vikings like to move Justin inside. They really distribute their slot targets pretty evenly, but the Cowboys just lost uh, their best corner and their slot corner, Jordan Jordan Lewis, Lewis. to to a um, Liz Frank injury. This was like, I think, three weeks ago. 
And the kid that replaced him is a rookie fifth rounder. And so now that's the guy that Jefferson's going to be staring uh, or Hawkinson or Osborne or whoever they put in the slot. And Kirk's got to love his matchups there. So to me, the key is, and Dallas thrives on this anyway, they, they apparently have the fifth highest blitz rate of any team. They already bring a strong four-man rush. So they rely on just that man coverage holding up just for yep. that just long enough time for the pressure to get home. And it's just a matter of Kirk getting the ball out. And We're going to beat does, your line before you beat our secondary. If he does, I like their chances to, to win this game, at least offensively. And I think Dallas, when you look at their offense, C.D. Lamb is incredible. But um, Dak Prescott's been up and down since he returned from a six-game absence with a thumb injury earlier in the year. And I think Dallas has been a much more inconsistent team than the Vikings have, obviously, Vikings being 8-1. and one. But um, – I don't know, Ben. Maybe I'm drinking the Kool-Aid too much. I just think the Vikings are set up well to win this game. Well, and especially I think being at home. I mean, they they have been awfully good at home, and they their defense I think is better at getting to the quarterback when they're kind of playing off of that noise. They have had quite an advantage in terms of being able to get off the ball. You're going to have I think people trying to figure out where Zadarius Smith is. They'll try to move him around and get some matchups against. Uh, the the Cowboys offensive line that way yeah I I think it certainly is one of those that you'd say if it's at home especially that they have a decent chance to do it I mean the Cowboys have been they were a playoff team last year they've had they've had pedigree in terms of being competitive the last several years but yeah I, I wouldn't look at this one after they beat the Bills last week and say oh this is this is going to be too much for them. I mean, you go on the road, make the kind of comeback they did to beat that team in a building where they had never lost after leading by 14 points at halftime until last Sunday. Um, that We talk about a signature win. That was a signature win in a way that it's not like they just squeaked. I mean, they did just squeak by the Bills, but they did it in a way that tells you something – about their their medal, it wasn't like oh we just checked the box against a, a a high level team. It was we got pushed to the edge and we made every play we needed to make to come back and win it. So um, yeah, I wouldn't look at it with this one and say they have they're in over their heads when they just come back from winning a game like that. I guess the question is, can you do it? Kind of get the emotional level back to where you need it after <laughs> that game and and having a lot of attention on Justin Jefferson on the effort on the comeback on the game of the year all this stuff can you bring the emotional level back down and get yourself ready for the Cowboys it's probably a different challenge that way yeah Kevin O'Connell brought that up at, and I think it was Monday and his and um listening back to it he, he brought up the fact that um he was worried more about how we handled this win just because it was so emotionally charged right yeah so this is kind of a new this is a little bit of new territory for him I know coming off even the week one win was emotional for a lot of guys with the Cardinals win but this collectively felt like it emptied some of tanks a little bit yeah it sure did and I I think it did I mean that's that's a hard effort to yeah. come back from down 27 10 to kind of I mean just think about the emotional swings at the end of that game fourth and 18 Looks like it's over. Jefferson makes an incredible catch. And then you put yourself, I think the next play was they get hit with a 15-yard roughing for, I think, maybe a horse collar. If I remember remembering the sequence right, they, they had they had a penalty get tacked on, I think, that made it so they're, you know, they're sitting first and goal. I mean, however it was, they got the first and goal and you're with like a minute left and you're thinking, 
boy, they're going to walk in. That's right. Um, that Yeah, the sequence was after the penalty. There was a 22. I think was that the 22-yard run by Singletary? Was that or am I mixing up the drives? There was a, a big run a there. Singletary. Um, you're, you're, are you talking about when the Bills recover? Or no, I'm talking about when the oh, bite, oh, after I'm the sorry. Jefferson I'm catch. sorry. I lost you. Okay, my bad. After the Jefferson catch, I don't remember what happened right after that. God, there was so much that happened. Yeah, it's it's. A I was lot thinking. To... I thought you were saying after a Vikings turnover, there was a period where the Buffalo just walked right down, um, and it had there was a horse collar on Kendricks on Diggs. Well, there was a horse collar on Kendricks there yeah, too, but that's no, it was horse collar, yes. So no, I'm talking about Christian Benford. Yes, it, it was after the Jefferson catch. Cousins hit Thielen for nine. Benford got flagged for unnecessary roughness, and then so that put him at the 17. And Cousins hit Jefferson for 14. So that put them at the, basically the first goal of the three with a minute nine left, and that's when Cousins got tripped that's right. by Ed Ingram. Yep. But before yep. that, you're thinking, boy, they're going to walk in, and they, you know we'll see if they score too fast and they have to make a stop, but they're going to walk in and take the lead. So you're kind of going from this, this is over, they're going to lose, to they're going to walk in and win, to they get stopped, this is going to be a gut punch loss, to what the heck just <laughs> happened, they're going to win, to oh, it's going to overtime, and then – you make the, you win the coin toss, you score, then you pick off Josh Allen in the end zone. I mean, so there's so many emotional swings. I mean, if you look at, I haven't graphed the win probability chart for that game, but if you look at it, I'm sure there were some pretty wild swings at the end of that thing, and and all of those kind of as Kevin O'Connell talked about, the emotional range he said was about as big as you could possibly have it. So yeah, how do you kind of flush all that, move on, come back to, you know, kind of come back to ground zero for this one. I think that's going to be an interesting challenge. We haven't heard from O'Connell yet today. He'll talk Wednesday afternoon. We're recording this before that, but uh, we did already see that he scheduled a walkthrough instead of a practice today. Yes. So maybe that's one way of him pulling back on the reins a little bit or letting loose on the reins, I should say. Use that metaphor wrong. Um but in terms of just giving these guys some uh, br- some breathing room. Yeah, yeah. I, it'll be interesting to hear why he decided to not practice. And they may just be physically beat up, too. We haven't seen an injury report for the week yet either. Um, th- this one took me back a little bit, and it's not the same level of consequence, obviously, but the the emotional high of it reminded me of the Minneapolis miracle Yeah, and yeah. how hard of a time they had coming down from that after that game now that's like we say it's a different thing it's a walk-off win in the playoffs to take you to the nfc championship game but there was that just i mean it was a highlight level play that everybody talked about we spent you know the entire evening staying up to one two in the morning watching the replays of it can we believe this actually happened that type of stuff lingered into that next week and they get their doors blown off in philly and I remember after this game in, in Buffalo, um, guys like Brian O'Neill and Garrett Bradbury were comparing it to the 2019 playoff win, which is the only playoff win they've been a part of yeah. for the Vikings in, the, in New Orleans. Just in terms of their most hard-fought wins. So when you say, you know, yeah, the playoff wins at a different level, like, well, no, the, to these, to the, especially these young guys, you're absolutely right. Like, it hits them just as hard in terms of how big this win was um, and how big it felt because. Uh, Brian O'Neill is a veteran. He's been in the league, you know, what, since 2018? It's been a while. Yeah, not as long as Kyle Orton, but yeah, he's been around. <laughs> it's been for five years. So for a guy like that to just be as elated as he was after that win and say we felt like we beat the best, 
um, and really proved it. I felt like they proved it to themselves as much as we talked about afterward and everybody else did about how, oh, they proved it to everybody else. It felt like they proved it to themselves too. Yeah. And that itself is such an emotional high that, yeah, how do you prevent a, a let? Well, O'Connell said that in his in his locker room speech that the Vikings released on social media that what we earned here is the final stamp in proving we're one of the best teams in the league. So, yeah, I mean, they, they did, I think, see it and you'll hear some coaches kind of talk about ah, it's just one game it's it doesn't mean anymore O'Connell whether this or in Philly has sort of embraced the idea of no this is a test of how good we really are there it does mean something when you play teams of this level and you have to go into a tough setting and see how you respond to it he does not seem to look at this in a vacuum of this is exactly like it would be if we were playing a playing the Lions at home or something. It, it he does kind of look at it as this is not the same deal. So then the next test is okay. You got that. How do you respond to it? Because the the process of of handling success sometimes is um, something you have to learn, especially when you're a young team that hasn't or you have young players on this team that haven't been part of that. Um, to close the loop on on the Justin Jefferson stuff, because I want to transition and talk about Kirk a little bit and, and what you're writing just about um, his side of things yeah. with Justin Jefferson. Um, Justin Jefferson needs 88 yards to tie Tariq Hill for the lead among receivers in the NFL uh, in receiving yardage. Uh, Tariq Hill's on a bye this week, so pretty easy to catch him if he does. And um, Jefferson also needs 88 yards to pass Randy Moss for most yardage in a player's first three seasons. This heading into a Thanksgiving game where I just looked it up. Jefferson wasn't even born when Randy Moss had Correct. his big day. Um, Jefferson was born like three months later. Or in 1999. Something like that. So Jefferson is probably going to pass Randy Moss for most yardage by an NFL player in that player's first three seasons, doing so presumably in five fewer games doing it in 43 games to Moss's 48. It's an incredible tear that he's on this past six games. Um, And if the Cowboys decide to play a lot of man coverage, which they like to do, Jefferson has caught 14 of his last 18 targets against man for 333 yards. Boy, oh boy. And a touchdown. That's 41% of his yardage on just 27% of his catches. So averaging like 20... 22 yards. Yeah. I'm really bad Catch. at arithmetic, but a lot. Uh, you'd be 23 and change, I think. A lot. <laughs> a lot. 20 would be 280. <laughs> so, yeah, you have another 53 yards. Yeah, 23 and 23.8 or um, something. You wrote already for the Star Tribune about how Kirk Cousins is uh, empowering Justin Jefferson as much as uh, the other way around on some of these moments because he's trusting him and putting the ball up and breaking tendencies that Kirk himself has established over his career of being resistant to making those risks. Yeah. He's doing it with Justin, and it seems like he's got that trust well-established two and a half years in, um, and in this offense seems comfortable enough, comfortable enough to take them. Yeah, I mean, it, it has been a noticeable change, I think, really since they came out and you know, you saw it in the Washington game. Certainly, you saw it last week. I asked him a little bit after his podium session today about the, the one that stuck out to me. I mean, the, the one obviously that everybody's talking about, but he had one towards the end of that game. He was, I think, on the far hash and threw it to the opposite sideline, almost threw it blind. And he said that was a protection thing. He basically said that it was bearing down on me. I'm trying to throw it 
think trusting Justin's going to get there or nobody's going to catch it. We're not going to it's not going to be a pick. It's going to be ours or nobody's. But I I just don't think he would have made those types of throws in the past where it's like I'm going to let it rip. And in that throw, you know, I saw a couple people say this on social media, and I think they're right. That throw was a hell of a shot to the other side of the field. I mean, that's one where if Patrick Mahomes makes that throw, everybody's saying, like, look at this dude's arm. I mean, this is not a conversation we have with Kirk Cousins, but whether it was that or the one, it was like a six-yard completion to Osborne, but he had a couple defenders come at him. He slidesteps him, gets out of the way, resets, throws a dart to Osborne in, in kind of tight coverage. I just – there's a level of pocket presence and a level of assertiveness in some of these throws. These are a lot of the things that people have been wanting from him forever. And, you know, it's it's so funny because his numbers are not anywhere near as good as the ones he's been putting up in the past. I mean, the passer rating is 87 flat, which is one of the lowest of his career. And – Completion percentage is down, interceptions are up, all that stuff. But he's doing what they need him to do most of the time. Some of the interceptions have been uh, pretty – he's made some throws that you, you don't like. And certainly the, the interception last week where he throws it basically thinking that a receiver is going to be there and he throws it right to a Bills defender, that was kind of a head-scratcher. But he has been more willing, I think, to give guys a chance and – when you've got a receiver like Jefferson, and he said it, there's a little more latitude to do it because you just he's earned the right for you to think he's going to come down with it. Yeah, because more often than not, he does uh, outside of a few moments in that Washington game or really going back to the Philly and Detroit game earlier in the season. Those are the only ones where we've seen him struggle at times, but he's been on such a hot streak that I don't see it ending against Trevon Diggs and that Dallas defense, even if they've got Micah Parsons and a really, really good pass rush. Um, ben, what else should we talk about with this matchup and this team and where they're at right now? Because I, I think – one of the big things you've talked about the O line quite a bit leading up to this. Um, they've certainly felt like they played well against Buffalo, and and it seems like the offense putting out almost 500 yards. You can't do that without the O line playing at least adequate. Yeah. Um, so, what role have they played in this offense, kind of at least catching fire? Uh, certainly in the Buffalo game. Well, and you mentioned Darisaw before. I think that's certainly something we need to keep an eye on this week because him playing at the level he has has been at such a big change I mean he I think pro football focus has him rated the number one left tackle in the league right now and we heard it beginning of the season Daniel Hunter's saying hey he reminds me of Trent Williams those two work out together in the offseason and Trent Williams is talking about how good Darisaw can be so the fact that they're able to kind of leave him out there and say this guy can handle anything we throw at him is a big deal so I think that's been a lot of it I think Bradbury overall has been better um Ed Oliver has struggled, and he's kind of been the weak link at Ed times. Ed Ingram, yeah. yeah. Ed Ingram has struggled with, <laughs> with Ed Oliver. Ed Oliver, yeah. <laughs> Ed Oliver will make a lot of people struggle. Ed Ingram has struggled against more people than just Ed Oliver. Um, so I, I think that's been kind of the the weak link, and you maybe expect that from a rookie. But you have two tackles you trust, and I think Garrett Bradbury has probably reaped the rewards of that because you, if you need to help – bring extra protection inside that's part of it you know Cousins this isn't just the offensive line Cousins has been I think better at avoiding sacks they've gotten good pass protection from the running backs at times Dalvin Cook had a 
a really important chip, I think, on the the throw to cut the throw to Jefferson, the fourth and eighteen. Cook blew up a a blitzer there, so um, yeah, all that stuff has played into it. I was just going to mention he had a, a really good pickup up the middle, and, and it seemed often yeah. he's kind of positioned to protect help up the middle because yes. not just because they need it, but because that's where defenses are putting most of their resources too. They're yep. just overloading the middle, trying to overrun those guards and Bradbury and their communication, and trying to make them slip up. Dalvin Cook had a really good blitz pickup up the middle on the 22-yarder to Jefferson on the touchdown on the opening drive yeah, where he helped pick up um, a blitzing linebacker that came free. I mean, that kind of stuff is invaluable for a line that needs that help. Mm-hmm. And we haven't seen that kind of help from their tight ends uh, uh, pretty much either because for what Hawkinson gives you as a plus receiver, um, he's kind of a lanky 240, six foot five. Uh, Wes Phillips kind of shed light on it before Hawkinson even played after they traded for him and said, like, look, he, you know, a lot of the guys he goes against are going to be bigger. So, yeah. you know, let's keep it in perspective. And you have to, but uh, Hawkinson's not the guy you necessarily want in protection. So Cook doing that is huge. And it's going to, he's going to have to kind of lower his shoulders into guys a lot, I think, on Sunday, too, yeah. against a Cowboys team that, um, likes to really rush downhill, send extra blitzers. We're going to see a lot of J-Ron curse in the box. They like to play a lot of single high safety and drop J-Ron down. See Anthony Barr um, in the A-gap? That's right, Anthony Barr coming out. and George Edwards he missed, back in town. He missed last week's game with a hamstring injury, so we have to wait and see if he's healthy enough to play. But when healthy, he has done decently for Dallas. In Always six, the operative phrase with Anthony Barr. In six games, that is true. Um, but Eric Hendricks spoke on Monday about how he's pretty excited to see his old friend, they have friends that from UCLA who are going to come out and watch the game at U.S. Bank Stadium. Uh, Kendricks didn't – he said it was cool, but he, he said it almost, you know, sadly on saying that, like, this is the first time they'll see us on opposite sidelines, yeah, you know, and, and how weird it is. It's the first time they haven't been on the same team since Barr was a rookie and Kendricks was in his last year at UCLA. The last time they I, – I don't think they've ever – played on opposite teams I mean they, the only time they've been apart is when one was in the NFL and one was not so I mean they those two have spent a lot of time together and yeah it'll be a little strange I think for for those two to and not going against each other directly but you know on opposite sidelines both trying to beat they hope their team beats the other one's team they've, they've a kind unique of thing they've kind of transitioned seamlessly though with Jordan Hicks yeah um, bringing in a guy who is comfortable in a three-four defense, and uh, I think is leading just by an inch, leading the team in tackles over Kendricks. Um, that's kind of hard to do for transitioning from a cornerstone. Like I know Anthony Barr was very up and down, and you know we talk about his health not always being there, but when he when he was healthy, he was uh, a cornerstone of a number one defense in 2017. And moving on from a guy like that, it wasn't clean financially, but it seems no. to be clean in terms of production. Yeah, and they've gotten a lot out of some of those less heralded off-season pickups, whether it's Hicks, Harrison Phillips, even bringing Patrick Peterson back. I, you know, I think that was at the time you're thinking, okay, is this going to work? But he's been terrific. So, and transitioning to a new defense. Yeah, yeah, and and one that is pretty antithetical to the way he's played a lot of his career, and he's talked about you know kind of finding how that has helped him out and he's been really good in that role but I don't think they'd be sitting where they are without him being able to do what he's done as a corner because you don't have kind of the proven corner on the other side of him that 
I mean, Cameron Dantzler shows you in flashes, but Cameron Dantzler has also struggled to stay healthy again. So, um, yeah, the, the pickups they made, even though they didn't have a ton of cap space to do it, whether it's those, I mean, certainly Zedaria Smith is, uh, you know, as big of a pickup as they've had, but you know, a guy that got cut, probably not at the peak of his powers in terms of where people thought he was after being hurt in Green Bay last year. So they've gotten a lot out of the offseason moves they were able to make. Yeah, two of their best defenders, I guess, were street free agents, yep. quote unquote, cut by Green Bay and Arizona. Yep, Hicks and, and Smith. Um, so for you nerds out there, that doesn't count toward their comp pick formula yeah. <laughs> for next year. Yeah. Um, I should, I should mention too, that, um, this, this matchup, um, is, is going to be one where, um, they're going to need, uh, they're going to need Hicks, Kendricks. They're going to need Harrison Phillips. These new guys we're talking about Smith, obviously too, to play up to the level that they've been playing because Tony Pollard has given this running game what Zeke used to give it. Yeah. Um, and Zeke was out last week with a knee injury. We'll see if he comes back this week, but they don't need him because Tony Pollard is younger, more explosive, uh, taking the yardage that isn't there. I think if you look into the numbers, Zeke is one of those running backs that just over the years says he's aged is only kind of taken what's given by the blocking, yep. not working for much after contact. So the Vikings don't have to fear much of Zeke Elliott like they used to. It's really just CeeDee Lamb and uh, Tony Pollard in yep. that offense. Pollard's averaging, I think, six yards a carry. We've seen him have some kind of as the change of pace back. He had a big run. I can't remember if it was last year or the year before, but he had a big run against them at U.S. Bank Stadium in the past. So, I mean, he's he's been a guy that has been around, but certainly has played a much bigger role for them this year, and I think uh, he's obviously one of the guys they have to be pretty concerned with on Sunday yeah because this running defense wasn't great against Devin Singletary uh outside of forcing a fumble um in Buffalo and they they can get taken advantage of at times if if they get soft up the middle and that's happened when they don't always have their starters in there and we'll have to see if Dalvin Tomlinson can come back I did speak to Cameron Dantzler today in the locker room he's out of the walking boot on his high ankle sprain and says he intends to be back as soon as possible which would be December 11th against the Lions. So he's out at least three more games after missing last week's game. Caleb Evans is in the concussion protocol. That means Andrew Booth could start. He'll at least work and practice as the starter after debuting. Um, our Mark Craig dug this up, and I had no idea, but Andrew Booth was the last drafted corner to appear on defense among the top 25 corners taken uh, in the draft. So, yeah, I suppose it's been injuries. Hasn't been able to get on the field. Yeah, and as Ed Donatel, I asked him that last week just in terms of Booth and where he's at, and he said uh, in, in Ed's own way, he said, uh, everybody's different, everyone's arrives at a different point, you know, time will tell and all that kind of stuff. Uh, very positive they have a defensive coordinator uh, right now. <laughs> but point being, he hasn't been on the field because he's been banged up, hurt. He will get an opportunity, though, um, moving forward, especially if a Caleb Evans can't uh, clear the concussion protocol. Outside of that, Ben, I think the only other concern for this Minnesota Vikings team at eight and one is when is Greg Joseph going to come back to bite him? Yeah, that is, uh, is kind of one of those things that's kind of lurking in the, lurking in the background and, um, you know, misses the extra point on Sunday. I, I guess that pushed them into the analytically woke strategy, not playing for a field goal at the end of the game. So oh. we have to go try to win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. maybe that was a blessing in disguise, but, the other thing people, I think somebody emailed me about this this week, is 
So everybody's getting mad about Greg Joseph, but he has not missed a field goal inside of 50 yards. All of his misses on field goals are 50-plus. That I, that doesn't excuse it. Just extra points. The extra points are also <laughs> a problem. Yes, the extra points are inside of 50 yards. The Star Tribune has learned. Um, so, And the extra points have come at important times. Where, Like last week, you needed that. You would have at least liked to have the option to kick a field goal. They would have finally had a two-score win if they if he had made it against Arizona. That's true. Um, so, and, and he was awfully good from long range in training camp. So, yeah, they've stuck by him, um, and I think they'll continue to do that. But yeah, you you know, it, it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a Viking season where they're heading towards the playoffs where you didn't have the kicker in the back of your mind yeah and it's more concerning when you look at some of the issues on I think two of the 50 yarders he's missed were blocked but one of them was such a low kick that it had no chance even if there wasn't pressure up the middle uh, that was the recent one he missed that was blocked I think it, I think it was against the Cardinals potentially um, but either way yeah they they need to get some consistency out of there entering last Sunday no other kicker had missed more than two extra points and then Joseph missed his fourth of the season. I believe Jason Sanders of Miami is now at three. Okay. So either way, it's not good. It's not great. Not what you want. It's not the best season any kickers ever had, but you know, um, and then they had a great training camp though. That's true. I had an amazing training camp lights out. If you were there lights out, if you were there. Uh, all right, Ben, well, let's close this podcast out. I'm going to make you uh, make an early prediction on whether this team is going to win on Sunday because they're eight and one. And so prediction radio or podcasting is what it's all the rage. Um, I'll make my prediction first. I think I've made it obvious. I think they're going to win. I think it's going to be their first two score win of the season or since green Bay, I should say not of the season of this run, uh, which almost, I'm sorry, Viking, that dog mask I'm on. sorry, Vikings fans. It means they're going to lose by a lot <laughs> with how confident I am. Yeah. But I just think that they're going to find a way to handle this pass rush, and I think they're going to be able to score a lot on this defense. Yeah, I just – this Cowboys team feels like – I mean, there's so many of these Cowboys teams that have not felt like the whole is equal to the sum of the parts. And I kind of feel like that with this group where it's like, well – yeah, there's a lot of talent. You have Dak Prescott. You have good skill position players. You have skilled pass rushers. But there's just so many incomplete pieces to it, I think, that, yeah, I'm with you. I, I think if it was on the road, you know, I say that. They just wouldn't in historic fashion in Buffalo last week. Uh, if it was on the road, I might feel a little bit differently about it. But I just I think they're going to be able to do what they need to do at home with that crowd kind of riding the energy from it. If Cousins is good, it's a national televised game. If he's good in that setting, yes, I think they will win. I don't know if I'm ready to say two scores because um, I'm just I've just resigned myself to the fact that every <laughs> one of those game stories I have to file at the, at the gun is going to be a fire drill. Um, spent five years covering bad baseball teams that could blow leads really quickly, so it it I'm used to it. But I just I've kind of a made peace with the fact that I'm going to have to do it every week. So I'm going to say it's going to be close, but yeah, I will, uh, I will pick them to win as well. Yeah. And because I, because I said that they're, and because we both picked them to win, they're going to come out flat, lose by 30. Uh, it's going to be a blowout demoralizing loss heading into Bill Belichick and the Patriots on Thursday night. So uh, Thanksgiving I picked night. Them to win on a lark last week. That's true. You did. And yeah, I, you did. part of it, I was, I was sitting there thinking, well, if, if it's Keenum, 
then I really think they're going to win. But my uh, my dad likes to text me whenever he thinks my predictions are going to be wrong. And so I got a text from him in the middle of that one last week. So didn't hear from him the week before when I picked him to win 20-16 to 16 and they won 20-17. to 17. Funny how this goes quiet and those. But, yeah, um, didn't hear from him at the end of the game either. 